So as many of you know, last week was a pretty momentous week in the Durkin family. We had baby number five, Annabelle Amy Durkin. Very exciting. We have a basketball team, ladies and gentlemen. That was not only a momentous week for our family, it was actually a momentous week in the history of the land that we live, of our country, in fact, the whole world. Last week, the world remembered one of the most important battles ever fought. Now, here in the United States of America, there has been some very important battles. Battles and wars that were fought that would change the the course of this country forever. The Battle of Alamo, Gettysburg, Valley Forge. But what we celebrated, what we remembered last week was the 75th anniversary of D-Day, 75 years since the greatest seaborne invasion in all of military history, 156,000 soldiers, allied soldiers, storming the beach of Normandy, storming the German-occupied, Nazi-occupied country of France. Those 156,000 soldiers, including my very own pop-up, who never talked about that day, truly turned the tide of one of the most important battles ever fought. Many historians agree that it was on D-Day, even though both sides couldn't really see it. Now, in hindsight, with history as our guide, it was D-Day that turned the tide, that flipped the script, and that changed the course of not only that war, but changed the course of Western civilization, and I would submit to you, changed the course of all of human history. D-Day. Now, as we come to Galatians 5, we are reminded of a battle that wasn't fought necessarily on a beach in Normandy. We're reminded of a battle that was fought and won from a cross on Calvary. We are reminded not only of how we have victory because of a different D-Day. We call it Good Friday. Where Jesus Christ, God's son, overcame an enemy that we could not. That Jesus Christ, God's son, on the cross, offering himself as an atonement for our sin taking its price and its penalty, not only could we never overcome sin, Satan, and death, but also no amount of soldiers or armies could do what Jesus Christ did that day, that good Friday. Friends, the war is over. The victory has been won. We don't pray as Christians for victory. We pray as Christians from victory. Jesus Christ has purchased for us the hope that we have of overcoming sin, death, and our enemy, Satan, finally and forever. So in a similar way, when those soldiers stormed the beaches of Normandy, the tide had turned, the war was won, there were still battles to be fought. You see, if I can use this analogy... We stand as Christians in between D-Day and V-J-Day. What was V-J-Day? 
VJ Day was the victory over Japan Day. It was the day where we celebrated that the battles had ceased. And I love that picture, that beautiful image of that sailor holding maybe his girlfriend, maybe just another spectator, in his arms and kissing her as a celebration that the wars and the battles have finally ceased. Now history tells us that no, the battles continue, not only on some distant battlefield. And for those of you that have fought bravely, those of you that have been on the tip of that literal sword, we thank you. But how many of us know that even though we live in arguably the most prosperous, secure, and free society the world has ever known, it still feels like life is a constant daily battle. Isn't that true? You feel it on your commute every single day, right? We don't have to get too spiritual about it. You feel it when you're driving. There's a battle. You feel it on your way to church. Do you ever wonder why it's so hard to arrive at a building at 11.30 a.m. once a week? There's a battle going on. You ever wonder why relationships and friendships, and especially marriage, can be such a trial and a challenge? There's a battle going on. You ever wonder why that even when things are good, I mean, my goodness, you might have decent health. You might have a decent income. You might have a nice house with a white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and a dog named Spot. And life still feels like a battle. Why is that? Galatians 5 reminds us that while we think that the battle lies outside of us, no, in fact, the battle is found inside of us. It's World War III inside of me. And every single battle ever fought on any battlefield, I would submit to you, is the overflow of the battle that wages in our hearts on a constant daily basis. The battles that you see on the battlefield is because sin has run amok in some country or some leader or some ideology, and it's leading to violence. It's leading to hardship. It's leading to pain. That's why James says in James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? It's just not true. Generations ago, they would have looked at what we have and what we enjoy and said, what is everybody so stressed out about? You have more food than anyone's ever had, more clothes than anyone's ever had, more entertainment than anyone's ever had, and it still feels like a battle. Why? Because what goes deeper than any battle outside of us is the battle that remains inside of us. And that battle is between flesh and spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Let's pause right there. After proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, that we are not saved by any man-made religion, we are not saved by our ability to obey any man-made laws, that we're not even saved by our ability to obey God's directive laws, 
that we are saved because of the final finished work of Jesus' perfect life, his substitutionary death, his victorious and vicarious resurrection. It's all Christ and Christ alone. We are saved by grace through faith. And yet, in the same way D-Day purchased for us the victory, we live between D-Day and VJ Day. We live in this world where there's constant battles. So Galatians chapter 5 is going to give us a plan, a guide on how to have more of God. And when you see spirit in here, this doesn't refer necessarily to your spirit. This refers to God and God himself. How do we get more God in our lives? How do we, by the spirit's power, overcome the daily battles that we face? The first admonition is to walk. Walk what? In the spirit. And then Galatians 5.25 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So whenever we go for a walk, we can relate to this. We want to walk with the person, right? You want to talk with the person. You want to be next to the person. How many of us know that we get in a lot of trouble when we stop walking with the Spirit and either we get ahead of the Spirit or we fall behind the Spirit? Meaning that many of us we make decisions, sometimes small, sometimes big, without praying, without going to God's word, without consulting other Christians and that iron sharpens iron in the crucible of God's fellowship. What do we do? We make decisions and just say, hey, God, I'm going. Can you just bless me from behind? I'd appreciate that. And we wonder why as we continue to make these choices and these decisions, as we get ahead of the spirit, that we can't sense any peace or fruit of the Spirit. No, what we want to do is we want to walk with the Spirit. We want to have that relationship with the Spirit. And what is the impediment to that walking? What are the hurdles and the stumbling ground for that walking and that living in the Spirit? It's our flesh. Now, when the Bible describes flesh, sometimes it refers to literal body. When Jesus resurrected from death itself, he said, see my hands and see my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You see, when Jesus resurrected, he was resurrected as a real body, not an ethereal spirit. So not all flesh per se is bad, right? God created everything there is good. That's the declaration of Genesis 1 and 2. God made the expanse of the stars. He made the sand of the seashore. He made the mountains, and he also made the seas. He made our first parents in his image, and he said it's all very, very good. Amen? So what's this flesh talking about? It's talking about Genesis 3, the fall, where sin and its cancer, sin and its curse has perverted and deviated every good gift that God has given his people. Every good gift is deviated and perverted by this cancer that is called sin. So the sin affects us. It's not outside of us. We gotta come to terms with this. Sin is not just a momentary lapse of judgment. No, the Bible describes flesh as a nature. It's a sinful nature. It has a proclivity. It has a propensity. If it, if it sees God and his holiness this way, it wants to run that way. If, if God's word says, 
Life and joy and peace can be found here. We want to go over there, right? In our nature, in our flesh, there's something that is allergic to God. And that's why the Bible says we need more of the Spirit in our lives. And it helps us make sense of our lives. It helps us make sense of why everything's a battle, why we continually fall back into the same problems. Now, religion, man-made religion, just says, fake it till you make it. How many people know? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Either it leads to pride. This is what man-made religion does. It leads to pride where there's always somebody worse than you. You can always feel better about yourself because there's always somebody worse than you. Or it leads to guilt because then you look at somebody else. You're like, oh, I'm not as good as that person. No, when we understand not the license of sin and not the legalism of the law, but the liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we don't turn to our flesh, but we turn to the Spirit. It is through the Spirit that we can do what we truly desire, that we can overcome these battles and these sins. It's through the Spirit that Christ himself helps us have victory. Romans 8 verses 1 through 3 says this, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He did it by sending his son. Get the irony here? It's talking about a battle in our hearts between flesh and spirit. And how do we win this battle? We surrender. Now, we hate surrender, don't we? We hate it. It's the worst. There's some battles, yes, that you should not surrender. There's some hills that you should die on. This battle against the God who created you, against the God who loves you, against the sin that will destroy you, yes. Say, God, I'm just tired. The battle's too much. Wave that white flag. God, I want more of you, and I want less of that. And what's that? That's the work of the flesh, and that's what the Bible continues to talk about in Galatians 5, 18 through 21. Let's look at it, shall we? If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. So these are the works of the flesh. Some of these we can relate to. Some of these perhaps we can't. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Listen to this word. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see that as a word of condemnation. No, it's a word of liberation. It's a word of love to understand the stakes of the battle that we're in, okay? So what we see here is this is the works of the flesh. When the flesh runs amok, when the spirit doesn't put it in check, when the spirit doesn't help you overcome and win these battles, this is what we see. Now, some of you, you can't relate to all of these, right? Maybe orgies and sorcery is not really your thing. 
But dads, men, oh, I know we struggle with fits of anger. All of us struggle with envy. All of us know dissensions and divisions. There's some part of us in all of this. So what we see here is that these are sins of the flesh. As we see sexual immorality, sensuality, and orgies, how many of us know that God designed sex, physical intimacy between husband and wife, to be a, not only a great thing, the best of things? He designed it, though, specifically. You see, what happens is when we start to think, ah, we know more about this than God, then all of a sudden, that thing that we're looking to for joy or for peace or for freedom starts to rob us of those things. What was meant to be in the confines and the security of a trusting, committed, loving marriage relationship then becomes not about love, but about lust. It's not about what I can give and do for you. It's about what I can get from you. True or false? It's true. Okay, we'll keep going. Impurity or idolatry. How many of us know the freedom that's found in overcoming sin? If you don't know this, talk to someone who has battled an addiction all their lives and is seeing some kind of victory from it. If you don't see their eyes well up with the sweet taste of freedom from impurity or, yes, freedom from idolatry, then we probably don't fully understand the depth of our need for grace. Drunkenness is in this list. Now, in the Old Testament, it's clear that God has given us the gift of food and drink. It's a gift from God, amen? It's meant to be enjoyed, amen? It's a sign of his common grace, amen? When we look to food and drink for our ultimate satisfaction and salvation, it becomes an idol. And that's what leads to drunkenness. It's not only a matter of who we are and what we do when we're drunk, It's a matter of why we get drunk. We're looking for this drink to save us, to release us, to help us feel better or to forget. Don't you see how you were meant to not look to any drink for that, but to look to your creator for that? And that's why a simple drink and a habit of drinking constantly leads to not just drinking, but addiction. Yes, a work of the flesh is drunkenness. Another one is sorcery. Okay, now, not many of us perhaps have struggled with this, right? But I do get this question often. People come to me, and they're like, Pastor, we were on the boardwalk, and we were eating our pizza, and we were having our delicious French fries and our Coors Brothers ice cream, and then we saw a palm reader. Pastor, is it wrong for us to go to the palm reader? Short answer, yes. Deeper answer, Why? Why go to a palm reader when you can go directly to your father? Why go to some person that probably doesn't understand fully the power that they're tapping into? Because listen, there are some fakes and there's some charlatans. A lot of them are tapping into something real, friends. That's why they might know stuff. They're tapping into real power. Don't mess with it. You have the ultimate power at your disposal. So in the end, it's just a matter of us trusting and waiting. We don't want to wait. We want somebody to give us quick answers about our future. 
as opposed to us trusting and waiting for our Father. We want someone to tell us some kind of mystery about our palms, as opposed to looking to the hands, to the palms of Jesus Christ, God's Son, pierced for our forgiveness. The works of the flesh are enmity, divisions, strife, and fits of anger. So many men I know come to me and say, Pastor, I just can't get a grip on this. I can't. I'm just angry all the time. Why? Because we need more of God's spirit in our lives. We need more of his peace in our lives. The last three are jealousy, rivalries, and envy. Have you ever noticed how hard it is just to be? Like, like how many of us have been around for a while? We've been around the block a couple times. And we still can't just be. We can't be content. We can't be still. We can't be satisfied in who God has made us to be. So there's envy. We look at somebody else's stuff. We look at somebody else's marriage. We look at somebody else's success. And we feel less worthy of of affection and love. We, by our comparisons, are robbed of our contentment. It's by the Spirit of God that we become content in who God has made us to be. It's by the Spirit of God that we have the fruits of God. And these are the last two verses in today's study. Everyone's doing remarkably well. Galatians 5.22. Let's all look at the Bible. All eyes on the Bible. These are two of the most beautiful passages and promises in all Scripture. And I hope we have ears to hear, as Jesus said. After seeing the works of the flesh, here is the fruit of the Spirit. 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, friends, I'll read it slow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. How many of us want more of that? How many of us want more of that? Love. Not love like the world defines it. Have you ever noticed the best the world can offer is tolerance? And even what they say is tolerance is the most intolerant thing. The people that claim to be the most enlightened, the most tolerant, are in fact the most intolerant people you know. Because they're tolerant of people that think like them, act like them, believe like them, live like them, and vote like them. No, the Bible, the Spirit of God offers you true love. Where you can love people different than you, that look different than you, that live different than you, that perhaps have even wronged you. This is true, lasting love, true, lasting joy, true peace. I heard a story of a man who was in the supermarket in the cereal aisle with his little toddler, two-year-old. And I don't know why this always happens in the cereal aisle. Maybe moms and dads, you've been there. But the little boy is having a temper tantrum and he's freaking out. So the father's pushing the cart and he keeps saying, Billy, it's going to be okay. He's saying in a low voice, Billy calm down. It's going to be all right. Billy, we're going to get through this. And another lady in the uh, cereal aisle comes up to him and encourages him and says to this dad, I just want to say how proud I am. While your son is throwing a temper tantrum, you're saying to your son, Billy, to be calm and it's going to be okay. And the dad said to her, oh no, I wasn't speaking to him. My son's name is Patrick. I'm Billy. (laughs) It's going to be okay, Billy. Calm down. 
We're going to get through the cereal aisle, Billy. You see, peace, peace is not something that can be purchased through our mere financial gain. Our hearts, as Augustine said, will be forever restless until they find their rest in God. The peace that you've been looking for is found in the Spirit of God. The end of all the Bible, the culmination of all Scripture, the ultimate purpose and the ultimate goal of all the law, all the prophets, the covenant, the Levitical sacrificial system, the purpose of Christ's coming, the purpose of Christ living, the purpose of Christ dying, the purpose of Christ rising and second coming is for this, to know God. What makes heaven heavenly? God dwells there. God reigns there. And here's what's amazing. The Spirit of God, for those of us that know Christ, dwells in you. So that's why if the Spirit dwells in us, why are we allowing ourselves to coddle some of those works of the flesh? Why do we deceive ourselves into thinking we can control some of those works of the flesh? Be done with it. Be done with it. That's why it ends, and it always ends. It always comes back to the cross. I love this. This passage ends not only with an invitation to know more love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, but it ends with a declaration of who Christ Jesus is and what he's done. Those who belong, as verse 24 says, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You hear that? It's past tense. When you come to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you, and you turn back to him and away from yourself and away from your sin, your old self died with Christ. And as Christ rose again, he gives us a new life. It's as if to say those works of the flesh are your old you, your old way of thinking, your old way of living, your old way of loving and operating. Why go back to that bondage? Why go back to that slavery? It's crucified. It's done. Now, when we hear cross today, we think about a shiny necklace around our necks. When they think cross, then they think when people hung on the cross, that was the end. When something was crucified, it never lived again. When they say your flesh with its passions and desires have been crucified, meaning, friends, listen, it's over. It's done. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit and have nothing to do with the works of the flesh. Enjoy the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, your guidance. We thank you, Father, that you comfort us in our afflictions. But we also thank you, God, that you afflict us in our comfort. That, Lord, some of us need to stop sitting and start walking. Some of us stop to, need to stop coddling our sin and to be done with it, to move on. Say, it's my old way. It's my old me. I'm a new creation. I'm a new life. I'm loved by Jesus and I won't go back to my old master. If that's you this morning, let this prayer be the first of many prayers where you trust and believe in the victory of Christ, 
not only on the cross 2,000 years ago, not only that the war has been won, but that you trust in the Spirit of God to help you overcome whatever battle you're facing. And we're all fighting battles, every single one of us. So would you pray with me? Pray with me a simple prayer that we would want more God in our lives. Pray this with me, would you? Heavenly Father, please forgive me of my sin. I'm tired and weary of this guilt. And I want to be done with my old way of living. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to walk, to follow, and to live according to your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.